we're a little groggy this morning after staying up for last night's four overtime thriller between Florida and Carolina, but uh, I think we're both thankful we live on the West Coast and didn't have to stay up past 2 a.m. This is David Hutchison here along with Kevin Woodley. Darren Millard is on playoff duties in Vegas today. Welcome to the In Goal Radio Podcast, episode 215, presented by The Hockey Shop and thehockeyshop.com. Woody. Yes. How good were Bob and Freddie last night? Oh, about three goals saved a piece. Good if you want to get into the math. Uh, man, like, <laughs> I knew you would. You know, I like my math. They were just, they were dealing, dialed in, in unique ways, right? The, the differences in terms of how they play the game, um, their details were just exquisite. You know, even in what I worried about as fatigue goes on, as that game goes on into the overtime period, is he end up with a bad goal or a mistake that leads to the winning goal is quite often the way it is just because of the mental fatigue that sets in. And I would the one thing I was a little wary of was Freddie handling the puck. And mm. he'd been so good at it. But that's where yeah. that's where you can make a quick mistake. And and it might not have even been a mistake of him. Um, you know, somebody peels the wrong way makes the wrong call and the goalie standing there holding it responds to what he he hears and and it ends up in the net but just another underrated but he didn't shy away from handling no the and that's I what noticed. i love and just another yeah. underrated part of the game like um the way that carolina plays the way they defend the way they get up ice like I love that they have empowered freddie anderson to handle the puck and i thought it was on display again last night and that's something that the teams he played for in the past sort of didn't let him do. Like Toronto didn't let him handle the puck. And he's always been that good at it. Anaheim didn't really want him out there getting touches. And, you know, Bob doesn't handle the puck a whole bunch. He doesn't even get out there and stop it as often as Freddie is. And like as this series wears on, uh, of all the little details and all the things they're doing right, could that be, you know, one factor that plays a role that makes a difference? It's There are so many little things in each of those guys' game that you can break down and sort of get into the minutia of. And it's just one more reason to love what I think is going to be a really entertaining series. What really stood out for me, Woody, was just the energy of everybody on the ice last night, even into the fourth overtime, right? I know you threw it on Twitter, um, the piece from J.S. Jaguar in 2000 and 2003, when they went, just about a minute longer than the game we saw last night, about the same number of saves. I think he was into 60, 61 saves in that game. And he described in the story about how everybody was dragging, how it was absolute hell to get through that. And I saw a high energy game. I saw great goaltending right into the fourth overtime. I mean, that's got to be credit to the sports science people involved uh, with both teams and just the preparation of players uh, today and the fitness of players. But being able to see that great goaltending right until the end, you brought up the fact that you could see the differences between the two guys. And, and I think a lot of people hear the line that there's a million ways to play goal. Everybody's got their own style. But I'd say the average person watching probably doesn't see. So what did you see different about how the two guys played the game last night? Well, I just think there's a, there's a uniqueness to some of Bob's details. And it's stuff we've talked about on the podcast before. And I saw it a lot on Twitter last night. Henrik Lundqvist did a great job as of course he always does. Um, I love that he brings the goalie geek that we thrive on right into the mainstream. Mm -hmm. So Bob has a sloped shoulder on his paddle, holds it nice and low. We've talked about it before, how he prioritizes blocker coverage over stick placement. 
more than maybe a lot of his peers. Like he does not get caught up with the stick, allowing the stick to override his blocker coverage. Having it square is a priority for him. And to the point where, and he did it in, in game one last night, there are times where when he's going left to right in desperate situations, where he's if he's he knows he can get a pad there, but he's not sure about building vertical coverage, he will drop the stick so that he can maintain an active blocker without having any stick interference. And so, you know, there's one of the details that's different. The way Bob gets a little lower and a little wider into his stance. Um, post play is obviously different between the two. I mean, there's just there's so many little things, and I love a long game like that. Just sort of, I think Freddie's quite a bit more aggressive out there too, isn't he? Like he he looks like he was taking more ice. He looks like he was moving at plays a lot more, whereas Bob was maybe letting them come to him. Bob Bob will explode off, and there's and this is this is this is good Bob, not so good Bob. Like that line <laughs> um, of consistency when he starts getting really aggressive, and we saw it at times in the Toronto series. A lot of the goals were backdoor tap-ins where he was caught outside of the blue ice into the white on the initial shooter. And so there, I agree with you. You didn't see it as, as much of it last night. That may be an adjustment he's making to Carolina as a team, but there have been times in the past and it's, and it's, it's, it's a razor thin margin, right? Like where aggression as much as, and that explosive ability he has as much as it's an asset. Once you cross that line, it, it can become one that other teams try to exploit. Uh, I think of low high pop passes from below the goal line where he like just bang off the post and out to the top of his crease. But there has been times where teams have been like, okay, I'm going against the grain short side with a quick shot because he's still exploding out at me and that puck's headed back the other way. So it is, you know, it is, uh, it's such a fight. Well, it's, it's goaltending, right? Like it's the give and take of goaltending. We get into that with Brandon Burke in today's feature interview. Um, you know, Brendan talks about like that, that give and take there are for everything we do, there's exposure on the other end and it's finding a balance for every goaltender. And both of these guys have different balance points in their game. I, they were both so good last night. Like this, none of this is meant (laughs) to be a criticism. It's just that, like you said, there's, there's no one way to do this. And by the way, I think we just, we're going to little time out this, we get a little chaotic when Darren's not here, run the clip. I want to hear. J.S. Jaguar talking about leaving an IV in his arm and being a bloody mess as he survived what he called the five overtime periods. Absolute hell. It was hell. That was absolute, absolute hell. And, <laughs> uh, Dallas is not my favorite rink. It was, um, I'm a guy that sweats a lot. You know, I'm right. a very heavy, heavy sweater. And uh, when you go to Dallas, it's, it's humid. It's hot. It's a big building. It's hot in the building. It's like they have a hard time getting it to a, a temperature that's acceptable for hockey, especially with the humidity there. So you're just putting on your gear and you're sweating. Like everything, you know, you're always sweating there. And started the game. And I think I had a really strong game. To You know, I think it was a 3-3, if I don't mistake myself, or something like that, to, to go to the overtime. But uh, at that point... I felt confident that if I just stay deeper in my net a little bit, cut down the mistakes, things will go my way and try to make sure that, you know, he's eventually going to make a mistake. You know, he's, he's, I knew that, you know, Marty Turco was very athletic and, and uh, yeah, unbelievable goalie, good reflexes and stuff like that. But technically, I knew I had an edge on him. Uh, he had many other edge on me, but I knew <laughs> technically I had an edge on him. And I'm like, 
I'm just going to be as good as I can be technically and just not make a mistake till he makes one. And, and, uh, anyway, but it was, it was hard. And, uh, by that time I knew myself pretty well. Like we, after, as soon as we'd go to overtime, uh, I'd get a bag of, uh, IV in me, make sure that I would recover faster because you couldn't, you can't keep drinking. Like the liquid just doesn't come in. Like it just, your so stomach fast. just yeah. Exactly. So, uh, you know, when you, when you, you put an IV in you, it just goes right through you. And when it goes like right into your muscles and stuff like that, it's a great feeling when you're hot and tired. So, uh, and I don't know if you ever had an IV from a doctor, but they don't yep. know what they're doing. Right. They're usually it's, it's, it's the, the nurse that does it. So we had our team doctor there. Yeah. I had blood everywhere. I was like, oh, covered no. in blood. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but it was, it was, uh, it, it was funny, but what we ended up doing is just leave the IV in there. Like we, we leave the tube, just tape it so that it would be faster. You know, after when you come in, just connect right away and put the IV in. And, uh, but by the time we got to the fifth overtime, even though we had all done these things, I couldn't, I couldn't speak. Like I usually I'd take off my gear and you know to cool off and stuff like that. And I try to put it back on and all my fingers and my jaw was, was cramped. I couldn't speak to, to tell my trainer to come and help me and everything I'd move would cramp. Wow. And I'm like, gosh, it's like, this is the worst feeling right now. Like, I, I, I don't know that I can keep up like going in this game. So when I, Briz Gallov was sitting beside me, I'm like, Briz, like, get ready, get ready. And he was like, he came, he, like, he was as white as a sheep. Like, probably <laughs> he had a, you know, a pizza to himself, you know, between periods and <laughs> like, did not want to go in. Like, and I, you know, I wouldn't want to go in there. You've been on the bench for five hours, like the last thing you want to do. So, uh, and thankfully we scored, you know, 30 seconds into that period. And I was like, oh, what a relief, but what a terrible feeling. That game, I, I would never want to do that. I wouldn't wish that to my worst. Well, there you go, Woody. That clip really speaks to what I was saying about the difference, I think, between last night and what uh, Jaguar went through um, in that season. You know, the other thing that popped out to me as I was watching was, I think Bob's now 5-0 and in overtime this year. And that playoff year, Jiggy went 7-0. and uh, so he's getting into record territory. The, the record is, do you know who's got the record? Is that the Patty Waugh 93 run? Yeah, I was going to say, we're getting you, into Patty Waugh territory here, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. well, it's going to be tough to get there. But uh, yeah, incredible run for I think last night should Bob. count for more than one. If you go four over, it should count. You should get extra credit for the extra periods. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, I like that. Well, actually, that would be interesting. Like what I, I actually have no idea how many periods of overtime Patty did in, in the 93 run. So we'll have to look that up and see. Homework. OK, so you've already mentioned we've got Brendan Burke coming up in the in the feature interview presented by Sensorina. But what's going to be happening uh, tonight in the playoffs uh, before we get to there? Kevin? Well, um, sadly, it won't involve the Seattle Kraken. And I say sadly, not because we have a cheering interest. We're as a journalist, and okay, quote like heavy on the air quotes around journalists. I write hockey and sports, but I always like when people ask, "What do you do for a living?" or or like on an official form, like I'm always hesitant to write journalists. But as a journalist, as a sports writer, we don't cheer for teams. I don't cheer for teams. I cheer for good people and good stories. I also cheer for me getting paid. And so the Seattle Kraken um, playoff run allowed me to be in Seattle covering it. And my goodness, my goodness, what 
a like that is a hockey market now. I'm biased. I live in Vancouver. Seattle has always been a great sports town. I used to go down for Mariners, still go down for Seahawks, uh, the way they support the Sounders. Um, and just watching them become a hockey town too during these playoffs, being in that building and Climate Pledge. And I got a little, a little, I had to have a little moment here. Climate Pledge, for those that don't know, used to be Key Arena where the Supersonics played, the old Seattle Sonics NBA club. And in order to make it work there, they basically took the old roof, lifted it up, suspended it, put it on, I guess, you know, like put it on blocks like you would an old car, but a little a little higher tech than that, and dug underneath and created everything down. So when you walk in off the street at Climate Pledge and to the stands, it's all beneath you. It's not like if you walk on the street of most rinks and if you were on the ground level, everything is above you and built up. It's all built down. Like it is an incredible building but to walk in there and cover a game i went there as a kid with my dad to watch the i used to go down for sonics games we used to go down for mariners games i was there as a kid with my dad to watch the chicago bulls play the sonics in like michael jordan's prime like jordan pippen rodman um I, i still have the ticket stuff somewhere and then so to see what they've done for that building. It is it's a modern miracle of engineering what they've done. Like it's in, it's in, the entrance for the I had to go through the shipping entrance the first time I went there cuz the media door wasn't open. And so I'm I'm looking for the trucks around the outskirts of the building and I asked somebody they're like no 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 the entrance to the loading docks is two blocks that way cuz everything is underground. It's like under two city blocks that you have to travel wow. to get into the into the where the where the buses take the players and it it is amazing they've got they've still set up they got a WNBA franchise there it's set up if the Sonics ever return they have the that old original parquet floor is stored in the building somewhere so a little woody seattle reminiscing aside i apologize folks but bear with me we don't have them in the playoffs anymore which means i get to watch everything on tv now uh Jake Ottinger and Aiden Hill to go back to your question 5 minutes later that's what we get in the playoffs tonight. and who would have thought Ottinger, I would have had money on being there. Um, but who would have thought it's Aiden Hill, who had a great season. But, you know, I, I, I think a lot, we all, we all, we called the Ryan Brassois starting in the playoffs. He gets hurt. Aiden Hill comes in and shuts down the Edmonton Oilers. Like, like, are we changing the narrative on what's important for goaltending as much as on the other side, Jake Ottinger is the number one and the stud number one for, for the Dallas Stars? Like, how many of these teams? Need more than one. Hey, let's go back to the overtime game we started talking about. What are the chances we see Auntie Ranta in game two for Carolina? Could we see Alex Lyon for Florida? Recovery after five overtimes. Like, um, you need more than one guy, whether it's injuries or just to get through a playoffs. We're, we're seeing the old school way of thinking, I think, slowly go the way of the dodo bird here. Well, we're headed into the uh, fourth overtime of that answer, but <laughs> just before we finish it off, Woody's going to go put in his IV, get a little bit of coffee into him so he can wind up and finish off. Let's break this down a little bit first. You wanted to go back, so let's go back. Would you change goalies in the Carolina-Florida series? And, and we should note Woody's not knocking the play of either guy. It was spectacular. He's just bringing up the idea about exhaustion after four overtimes and really in effect they're playing the second game that day really 
Yeah, so the next day, yeah, sorry, so, one day break instead of so yeah. basically they play two games in three days and they just play two games. So essentially, you're asking guys to play three and three, and that's not impossible. Um, at the end of the day, the goalie coaches and their sports science people, who I think you rightly gave a lot of credit to for how well players performed into the fourth overtime and at the end of the fourth overtime, are going to know this answer better than anyone. And so you rely on the relation, you rely on the science. And you rely on the relationship the goalie coach has with the goalie and whether he can trust him to tell him he's 100%. But at the very least... Which I think would be rare in hockey because nobody wants to say they can't. 100%. And that's why you have to have a lot of faith in it. Like, I can go, but what level am I at? Can I give you 75? Can I give you 80? How honest is that answer? At the very least, I think you have to consider what's happened in the league already in these playoffs. Look at the Minnesota-Dallas series. As good as Jake Ottinger is, his performance after, and that was just double overtime. And environment counts here because you want to know what the other thing we can't forget about that Jaguar clip is? He talked about Dallas and the heat. What happened in the Minnesota Dallas series, first game double overtime in Dallas? All of these series, Carolina, Florida, Vegas, Dallas, hot buildings. They, Dallas goes back to Ottinger in game two. They won game two. But he wasn't Jake Ottinger. He wasn't for game three. And Minnesota went the other way. And it didn't work because Marc-Andre Fleury struggled in game two. But they went back to a fresh Philip Gustafson in game three. And I think it took Jake Ottinger till game four to sort of get his legs back under him um, after playing that double overtime. We're talking quadruple overtime in Carolina in a hot building. I think... There will be serious consideration. I can't tell you which way they go. I think there will be serious consideration given to it. I, I will say this. if Put yourself on the line. What would you do, Woody? If Carolina had won, I would bet a lot of money we see anti-Ranta. I wonder if the fact they're down, it makes it a braver decision now because you're down in the series and you, and you don't want to risk going down 0-2 at home. But I still, I still have a hunch we might see anti-Ranta because of that reason. Um, I don't know what Florida will do. I'm really curious to see here. I think, you know, there's been a lot of focus on how much weight Bob loses uh, in a regular game. I think it can be 15 to 20 pounds. He's, he's not the biggest guy. I mean, we've written stories on it, like how he changed his body years ago, went from being really, you know, sort of muscular, muscle, not muscle bound, but just like ripped and bulked to just completely lean. Um, you know, so again, they're going to know best, but it, it's, I think it's a conversation and I think it's a conversation that, that a lot of people won't realize how serious the topic is because it's not about what gives you the best chance to win game two or just about that. It's are we going to get diminished returns for games two and three and maybe even game four if we keep rolling the same guy out there? You know, I look at the, you know, I, I look at the Dallas miniseries and I put it this way. Game one, two, and three happened in five days. So you essentially add a third game in there courtesy of the overtime and in the Carolina case even mm-hmm. more so because it's more you know it's it's like more than a second game you're you're right. you were asking guys to play four and five we don't do that so why would you expect them to do it in the playoffs when the pressure is and and, and everything is higher the fatigue mentally and emotionally is higher why would you all of a sudden expect expect guys to play four and five why would you expect Freddie Anderson to play three and three Sergey Bobrovsky to be three and three. But the one thing about Bob is for all the focus on what the weight he loses and all that stuff, man, meticulous in terms of taking care of himself. Like very few take care of themselves at the level Bob does. 
So if their sports science people see that the wear and tear is minimal, uh, as good as he's been, you know, again, since the first round, numbers weren't flattering against Boston, but from the Maple Leaf series on, I'm, I'm as fascinated as anyone to see what the decision is. I think there's a lot of people that will, like you said, old school hockey thinking, just keep him going. He's our number one. Um, you know, I've been privy to a few conversations around the league. I think that may finally be that may finally be something that more and more teams are rethinking. Okay, Woody doesn't have the guts to make his call, so I'll make my call. I would not switch them, and that's mostly just because I'm a chicken. I've said it here before. I like that as a goalie coach, I don't have to make the decisions who plays one game to the next. I only share my advice. Um, so I would not have the guts to do it. Would you're you're um, like everybody else in the NHL. It's you know it's a save your ass league. It's make the lowest risk decision. I'm starting Antti Ranta right now. I'm telling you right now. No offense to there you go, no offense boy. to Freddie. I love him and he's playing incredible. But um, well, what makes it good is that both teams have played multiple goaltenders already in the playoffs. So it's not like you're bringing somebody in cold after a month. And we we know they've got options, both of them. Hey, we've got uh, Brendan Burke, who, if you haven't figured it out yet, is the son of Vegas goaltending coach Sean Burke. In this week's feature interview, it's a fascinating look at the uh, the ins and outs of the technical side of the game. At least that's what I took out of it. Uh, that's presented by Sensorina. But coming up soon, we've got our gear segment with Kevin and, and uh, Cam over at the hockey shop. But I, I did just want you to give me a little preview of the next series. So. What should people be looking for as they contrast the styles of Jake Ottinger and Aiden Hill tonight? Well, that's a good question. Um, Put you on the spot. I, you know, I think, and we're going to get into this with Brendan because he played with Aiden Hill yeah, with the Portland Winterhawks. So he knows his game a little bit. And obviously his dad's the goalie coach. And there are some unique elements to their approach. I mean, Brendan's going to talk about Sean Burke and his work with Benoit Lair of the New York Rangers. And we talked about Henrik Lundqvist. I think he's sort of the most famous pupil of that style that that mm-hmm. play a little deeper inside out. You're going to see that from Aiden Hill. So, you know, it's funny when I when I when I was doing the video and looking at the numbers, like we know that making a goalie go east west is is a way to increase the scoring chance. The odds of scoring go up if you can move the puck across the middle of the ice and get a quick shot on the other end of that. It's I think every goalie in the world knows that's true. Um, but, you know, we've got the analytics to back it up as a, as a key factor in scoring goals. Well, interestingly enough, for most goalies, those scoring chances get better or pucks go in more when that east-west pass is made below the hash mark or what we call a low slot line play. Aiden Hill's numbers are actually incredible on low slot line plays. Where he's more vulnerable is high slot line plays. So same play across the middle. Again, make the goalies completely shift from facing one side of the rink to the other side, mm-hmm. but above the hash marks. And I think maybe, you know, I'm looking at some of the video. Okay, so when you say low, you're referring to position on the ice of the shooter as yes. opposed to low in the net versus high yeah, yeah, in the net. You know, I'm t- like uh, where the shot is taken from after the puck crosses, right. crosses that middle, that slot line below the hash marks or above the hash marks. And so his numbers on high slot line plays. And so it's been interesting to see if that's something that Dallas is cognizant of. I mean, obviously, you take what is given defensively a lot of the time. Power plays, though, are a spot where you can try and create unique things, where you have the extra man, where you can change things up to try and attack strengths and weaknesses or stay away from strengths and attack weaknesses. And so do we see any of that? And I think it ties into the style, right? Like, like Aiden Hill's never going to be out of a play. You have to really create scrambles to get him swimming down low before he's going to be out of his net or not over his knees. Um, 
anything because he plays deeper and he lets the play develop in front of him longer before he has to make those movements. The movements are shorter east west. Like he's so good in tight. Uh, Jake Ottinger, interestingly enough, like he'll play a little more aggressive. Uh, you will see him out at the edges of his crease. I, I would say Aiden's more two thirds to middle depth than his crease. Whereas you will see Jake out with the heels on the edges. Not, he's not past it very often. Um, tendency at times, like here's, here's a stylistic thing on Jake to look out for, for him on East West plays, he doesn't work back to his posts with rotation quite as religiously as some of his peers. And again, not a criticism at all. Just a difference. A difference. And there's a strength to it, right? Because he still beats those plays into, you know, his sort of angle line, but he doesn't necessarily square up on them, but he's more, he's further out. So he actually has really good numbers on the high slot line stuff because he's cutting that off more. But where you, if you, if I was trying to build a plan to target him, I'd be like, okay, so if he's not getting that rotation and working back to his post, I want to stretch those passes out further to the side where you create some short side exposure because of that. And again, we are, t- I mean, these are two, these, these are exceptional goals. Like Jake Ottinger, the top 10 goalie in the National Hockey League. But mm-hmm. it's much like the Vasilevsky conversation about sc- Everything's a given screens take. and tips, right? Like. Yeah, of course I'm going to try and create screens and tips on Vasilevsky because A, by the way, they're, they're a 30 to 40% scoring chance. They're damn near as good as a breakaway if you can get a screen deflection. Yeah. On anybody. B, he's still above expected. He's still good at them, but he ranks 19th in the NHL over the last five years on those. And he's top three or five in every other category. What am I targeting? The thing he's the best in the world at or the thing he's 19th at, right? Like, so again, it's strengths and not weaknesses. It's It's like, it's relative weaknesses, relative to the strengths. And so, you know, curious mm-hmm. to see, like, as good as Ottinger was last year in the first round of the playoffs, and it may be one of the greatest single-round performances we've ever seen. What, he makes 64 saves in Game 7, multiple overtimes before finally losing? I didn't think Calgary attempted those. Like, I don't think they tried to target that enough in that series. We're at that point, I think, where most teams are looking to those details in extreme detail. And I'll be curious to see what types of plays, what types of offense the Vegas Golden Knights try and generate specific to, to Ottinger's strengths and weakness. Because if you if you target his strengths, man, this kid is the real deal. And he will, he will eat you up just like he did the Calgary Flames last year. Well, you definitely need a strong mental game to get through four overtimes, to get through four rounds of the playoffs. And someone who is strong in the mental game is our friend Pete Fry, the goalie mindset guy. We just want to throw out for everybody that Pete will be running his annual seminar series uh, across the country, but most specifically in Vancouver on June 24th. And we would love for everybody to join us there. If you're an InGoal member, there's a discount available to you. You can even sign up for your InGoal membership before you uh, register for the seminar. But it's an incredible day just to strengthen your mental game. And this year it's going to end on the ice where you can put some of those things you've learned in the classroom uh, to action on the ice. Now, before we get to that great feature interview presented by Sensorina, our friends over at the hockey shop, and most specifically Kevin and Woody, have a great gear segment today because it is a big day for Bauer. Jake Ottinger, we're going to see tonight, is one of their sort of poster boys for their, for their gear. Why is it a big de- deal today for Bauer, Woody? Hyper late, too. 
is Hyperlight oh, too. And I it is Hyperlight. I like that you tease this by saying Kevin and Woody. So it's going to be me talking to myself. Did I say Kevin and Woody? See, you're just my favorite guy. So, so I'm sorry, like, Cam. As if people haven't heard enough five-minute answers from me already in this show, it's just going to be me. No, we let we let we actually let Cam have a word in edgewise because Cam knows his stuff, and that's why you go to the hog shop. By the way, June 24th, Pete Fry. June 17th, Tendy Fest out in Langley. Pete Fry's going to be there. So is Ian Clark doing a Q&A and presentation ah, yes. courtesy of us. Uh, all the major brands are going to be there. We're about to talk about the Hyperlight too. And oh my God, is it thin? And oh my God, is it light? What do we? What did we weigh that baby in at, Hutch? Uh, Cam weighed the set you were reviewing in at. I believe it was four point four pounds, so well under five pounds. It was a shocker. The thing that stood out for me about that, without getting into the review, Woody, was that we've said before the only way you can make gear lighter is by using a lower density foam that then gets a little bit flippy floppy, but that stuff's pretty darn stiff, and yet it's really light. I don't get where they did that or how they did that. It's a, So make sure you stick around to learn, um, and make sure, I think this one is especially important, go check out the YouTube video when it launches. Uh, check it out on IGTV as well. We'll have links to it. You're going to want to see this product as well as just hear us talk about it. There's a lot of new features there, um, but that profile, the thinness of it, the lightness of it, and yet without sacrificing the performance qualities that we've come to know uh, from the Bauer Vapor line uh, and how it complements the Supreme line in terms of the flex profile of the boot, like all those things we get into in this review. But again, before we, we get into the review, two, two key notes from the hockey shop. One, Tendy Fest, June 17th. Langley, you can go and try Bauer Hyperlite 2, as well as Bauer X5 Pro, which we will review next week, the second price point, which is one of the best second price points on the market. You can get on the ice, find your size, see if this product is for you. There are some unique elements to a Bauer pad. We talked about dating back to the first ever review we did with uh, having Mike McKenna talk about how the strapping was different. So if you're an old school guy and you're like, ah, it's just too different, you can actually take it on the ice and try it. Make sure you come to Tendy Fest. All the brands will be there. You can try all their product, take it out, have a demo before you buy. Uh, and the other part of brand new Hyperlite 2 means the old generation is on sale at the hockey shop right now. So make sure you check out thehockeyshop.com for everything that's on sale, all the past generations of Bauer stuff that is now being discounted to make room for the new product that we're going to discuss right now, Bauer Hyperlite 2. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports. We're in Goalie Utopia, Cam's Crease, Cam's Corner, whatever the hell you want to call it. <laughs> I'm not excited about you, Cam, but damn, am I excited about the Hyperlite 2. It is like Christmas in May. This. And like, man, this is... This is not just the next Hyperlite. This is, these are steps taken. Yes. Wow. Like, well, let, so let's go. Walk me through it. Like, <laughs> let's I'm go. too excited. <laughs> so let's go then. Man, this thing is like thin. This, like, I wish we had a scale. This thing might be sub four pounds. I cannot believe how light it is. Well, we will post the weight in a little up here. That's what it is up there. Yeah, it's going to play real well in the podcast. Let's go. Okay, good. All right. So. Hyperlite 2, advancing off of the first Hyperlite, which is extremely successful for us, uh, especially here at the shop. Um, we already had a great premise of a pad. 
We wanted to create a lightweight pad that had quite a bit of flex still to it, but can still perform at a modern day style and do all the things that we would want out of a modern day goaltend. Um, so how do we upgrade that or how does Bauer upgrade that and create now the two? So moving on to the back side of the pad, starting with that first, we can see a thinned out profile all the way throughout. How do you boot. modify it? You make it thin AF. <laughs> so we re reduce the weight, created a better balance and feel for the pad. Moving over to the side, Stabiliflex makes its return. So that's their integrated knee core with a bit of flex to it. So that allows a little bit of roll, especially when you're up on the post, that will help you for that post integration, getting a little bit more over top of your pad. Remember, Supreme Line has Stabila Slide, which is like super firm. Same concept built into the face of the pad with Stabila Flex, but as Cam said, just a little bit of flexibility, a little bit of give. Correct, but now something that actually debuted in the mock line that has now been brought over to the Hyperlite. So that same idea of integrating that knee plate, integrating the calf plate into the pad as well by a bracket system. So more stability here as well. Which allows you to stay in the butterfly. Correct, nice and that better seal and we're not having that bottom of that calf lift up in any of those motions as well. So a good sealing pad all the way throughout. More change. Back side of the pad. So flip over yours as well. Okay, Cam. So when we open it up, we still see our TuneFit 2.0 system here. Different connection point though. Before it used to be to the outside of the calf. Now there's a the connection point on the inside. So if you look, that's a lot like actually the mock series pad, which leads me to my next point. You are able to swap that out and put the TuneFit Plus strapping system in if you do wish or desire. Very easily, this comes as a replacement pack and it will fit right in. So a nice added feature of customization even if you buy a stock pad off the wall. Uh, you are able to remove that outer knee wing as well as Kevin's doing right there. So if you don't like that, uh, which a lot of people gone. have gone down with that strapping down to the calf to open up the pad a little bit more, create a bit better rotation, you have seen that down here. Um, also a feature that was uh, called out uh, a couple of our, even our customers have asked for as well, was having that lower strap just to help close off the bottom part, especially near your ankle, so your uh, skate didn't eject too far from the pad. That's now stock? Yeah, that is stock. Removable as well on the inside of the plate if you don't like it, but again, a nice added feature um, that definitely is worth calling out. Get gone. You know I'm gonna have to put these all back on when you're done, right? That's kind of why I'm doing it, buddy. Uh, okay, moving on to the boot. Even flatter than last year. Flat. Angled as well, so we have that taper in, so allowing you to take that deeper stance without that pad wanting to kick up on the ice and ride up on you. That's the taper. That's correct. You're still seeing their regular toe tie system, a little bit more robust bungee than what they have in the past. So it's similar to what you were finding on the newer Supreme. That's been a quick small upgrade as well. Um, overall, if you like the Hyperlite 1, you're gonna love the Hyperlite 2. All great upgraded features. If there's anything you did wanna change or kind of go back to, that's why custom is available. Um, which we have a little mixy matchy. Yeah, can if you want to. Okay, so it's a very thin pad, thin on the face, thin on the boot, still a flat boot angle, same as Hyperlite 2. Yeah, that 100 degree. 100 degrees. Yes. I just can't believe how light this is. Pretty fantastic. Gloves. Okay, let's go. Blocker gloves, let's go. Blocker gloves. 580. No, this is the Vapor 90. Oh, sorry, Vapor 90 is what they call it. So, Vapor 90, something that is available at custom. Or if you wait just a little bit longer, something you will find here on the walls of the Hockey Shop Sourcing Sports oh, you guys, exclusive. You guys ordered your own with the special. 
So stay tuned for that. Not quite here yet, but we will see that when that does. Uh, Cam's um, smart actually, like that. Hey, what can we say? Um, so those will be available. So yes, Vapor 90. So that's similar to that CCM 580, True 580. Uh, we're getting that nice duck bill over. Great closure, great feel. Definitely worth something checking out. But anyway, most important, stock Hyperlite 2. What they've done is redesigned a little bit of the backhand. Um, so we get a bit of a better fit. You also, something we can't show on camera, um, that same internal um, uh, gripping material that you found in the uh, Mock series of gloves has now made its way into the Hyperlite. Really tacks onto the finger stalls, not allowing your hand to slip, especially when the glove gets sweaty. Uh, overall hand adjustments, nice tight fitting glove without removing anything in terms of uh, ease of closure, especially right off the bat. What do you think, Kevin? I like it. I like it. New foam that's being debuted as well. Uh, Bauer's DTC foam, so this replaces Poron. It's still going to do the exact same things as Poron, but we got a new fancy name. But it ain't Poron. But it ain't Poron. What's it called? DTC. DTC. You got DTC. a blocker over there, genius? I do. So, Hyperlite 2. Good news is here, not a whole lot's changed um, because it didn't have to. Um, bit of a better design for the finger stalls in terms of having that protection just come down and wrap a little bit easier. That's so one thing like, that I was noticed. It always curved? Uh, no, it wasn't always curious. So it was now flat. we have curved finger we stalls. We have curved finger that stalls. That would be something new. Cor hey, correct. And beefed up as well. So I do find that this is a little bit thicker stock. Um, so definitely a worth call out. Nice, tight-fitting palm. So similar to a player gov design. Uh, we still have those adjustable fingers on there too as well. Um, good overall balance. Nice and lightweight. Is that a uh, neutral or is those, that hand is lower down the blocker board, it mm -hmm. feels to me? To me, it's still more of a neutral position based off of uh, previous years. Um, it's just one of the things that throws it off a little bit. Their cuff piece for the glove is quite large. So there was one note there. Um, I do find that some people do have a little bit of interference um, potentially with their chest, depending on how it's fitting. But there is Velcro there to sort of give you some play. But yeah, no I hear Velcro. It is held on by elastic. Or sorry, elastic. Yeah. But elastic Velcro. I'm not that bright. Could always take a pair of scissors to open that up a little bit more. Did you, you really just take to. a pair of scissors to the new Hyperlite 2 line? Potentially. Who knows? Thin board as well. Yes. But it still has that active feel on there. And um, that rebounds pop big off there. rebound punch. Honestly, you're not supposed to punch people with your blocker, but the leading edge on this is sharp enough. I might so be able to drop blood. So let's wrap this up here might be quick. able to drop blood. So, so if you would like to chat about the new Hyperlite 2, you can give us a call at 604-589-8299 or 1-800-567-7790 or check it out at thehockeyshop.com. We also have demos if you're local. Or you can check them out at Tendy Fest. Definitely coming up here pretty soon. Going to be on the ice at Tendy Fest. One thing to remember, folks, uh, as Cam mentioned, customizer for Bauer, um, like right down to the graphics. You can order these with all kinds of custom options. You can combine uh, some of the different lines. You can mix and match, as we were kidding before, between the two different lines, the Vapor and the Supreme. Uh, just tons of options now from Bauer and a great new pad. Uh, so make sure if you have questions about those options, there's no better place to get your answers than the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com. Not just Cam, but his entire crew. It's not just a bunch of kids out of high school that want a summer job. They're all goalies. They will get you the answers that will help you play better in the new Bauer Hyperlite 2. We've had the Hyperlite 2 on the ice for a few skates now. It really does seem to be the real deal. It is light. It does seal exceptionally well. But Woody, is there anything you're not happy about with the gear? Well, you heard how, like, I mean, I was practically, a I was giddy. I was practically giddy in that review. But there is, I do have a pet peeve. Okay. What the hell is with the two in between the P and the R in the name? 
marketing folks. It, what is that? Be is that hype tour light? Like I'm thinking like PGA tour, like tour, T two and then an R hype tour light. I guess you could have done hyper too light, but the thing's actually so light people might have been thinking you're saying it's too light. Like it was a tough one for them, but I'm gonna continue to call it hyper light two because Hype tour light doesn't work for me. My apologies to the folks at Bauer and their marketing team, but that one is my pet peeve. On it's the only pet peeve, the only negative I found on this product. Um, oh, by the way, well, the marketing proposal to Bauer it just went into the trash can. Uh, well done, Woody. Well, we still love you, Bauer. Love the fact that you've got a 580 <laughs> glove break available now as well. Um, love, and we we focus so much Ca on called the pad. the ninety. Yeah, the, 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 that that'd be my pet peeve. I just get confused. It's hard for me to remember. I think maybe even you got confused. Because if people will remember, you can actually go back and check out the video uh, when they went through Woody and Cam, not Woody and Kevin, went through the whole customizer for making a custom order of your Hyperlite 2. And I think you even got a little confused in there, Woody, because it's a 580-like break, but it's called the Vapor 90. Yeah. I mean, kudos to them for not just accepting the terminology of some of their competitors and calling it a 580. But the rest but, of us uh, are. Yeah, but the rest of us are confused. That's right. Once again. There goes that marketing pitch to Bauer. But hey, listen, um, make sure you come check it out. And if, uh, hey, if you live in, we talked about Seattle, Calgary, Northern BC, we have seen people come from as far east as Alberta, as far south as Portland, and as far north as like Prince George, which is like a nine hour drive to be at Tendy Fest because they don't, there's no other place to try the gear like this. So make sure you come out, check it out, Tendy Fest. This is your chance to try Hype Tour Light, Hyper Light 2, whatever we want to call it, and discover the difference that is this new Bauer Vapor product. It's um, and the glove, we, the glo I love the tackiness in the fingers it of feels the glove. Incredible. Yeah, it's yeah. they've done a nice, you know, it's funny. Um, it is funny. We, we go back to the original Odin with Henrik Lundquist, right? We talked about the strapping and, and Mike McKenna walking us through the unique way and adjusting your pads and. You know, some of the criticisms that that came with Bauer going outside the box to the degree they did, it really was a revolution. And it's been an evolution ever since. They haven't rested on their laurels. They've continued to develop these lines and move them forward. And, uh, you know, hey, we're all about innovation. So we applaud it big time here at Ingle. Yeah, I've said it before and I'll say it again, whether we're talking about CCM or Bauer or any of the other brands, every time I look at a a pad i think there's just nothing more they can do they are so incredible and then here we are 10 years as you say the evolution continues and and the changes in everybody's lines are, are just unreal it's a great time to be a goaltender it's a great time to play the best position in the game okay woody yes this week's feature interview with brendan burke honestly i have to say was one of my favorite interviews because the technical insights that he gives there's a few things in there that I just haven't even heard before, quite frankly. And, and I'm sure somebody's going to hop in the comments and say, no, I knew that before. But, but honestly, there was some stuff there I hadn't heard before. I was thinking about it in that uh, Henrik Lundqvist segment you mentioned that was uh, on last night, or people can find it over on Twitter if they want to see it again. Because near the end, Wayne Gretzky hops in there and says, well, if I was a player today, I would never shoot on the ice because these guys go down all the time. And in this week's interview, Brendan Burke says, I'm trying to make them shoot five hole. Yeah, it's um, it's that give and take, right? We we, we talk a lot about, you know, remember we've, we've had articles on this, nothing through you, how if you espouse that philosophy all the time, 
you create goalies that are scared to to get beat along the ice. And so what what does that mean? What do you do if you're scared to get beat along the ice? You drop early. And what do you do? You open up that net for Wayne Gretzky and his friends to pick you apart top corner. So how do we change that? I thought Brendan Burke had some, had just some really, like you said, different answers. And the way he articulated them was uh, was excellent. So uh, we were originally going to do this. We, I talked to Sean Burke late in the season, and we talked about doing a father-son thing, like having them both on, because Brendan's now, he's working as a goalie coach. Uh, in the Arizona area with the Junior Coyotes, and they produce a lot of great young talent there. Um, he's also works for the Portland Winterhawks, and they have a goalie school coming up. So Brennan's going to fill us in. Uh, Valley Goaltending is where you can find them. Uh, me and Hutch are already planning our trip. See, Darren's not here this week, so we can secretly plan around him to just, you know, he doesn't know this, but we're going to sleep in his backyard while we're down in Vegas for one of their camps. Great. You sleep in the backyard. I'm taking the couch. Well, great opportunity. The one thing Sean told me and Brendan reiterated, like they're keeping the price point low here. I mean, you're talking about, you know, I think it's, I think the Vegas camp is under 400 bucks for the week. Yeah. They're keeping it. I think their target was around three, three to 400. I think Brendan might've mentioned three twenty is one of the price points. Um, you obviously with the pedigree there, uh, he's, you know, dad, Sean is a goalie coach for the Vegas golden rights right now. Like you could charge a lot more than this, but they want to try and make this an opportunity for, for people that are in the area that maybe don't get to this level of camp normally to get, to get on the ice and, and learn some things. So, uh, applaud them for that. We had talked, me and Sean talked late in the season about having them both on. I thought it would be fun to do a father son thing. We've got a few of those planned this summer. Uh, hey, Jeremy Swayman, we're holding you to it, buddy. You and dad. <laughs> um, and, but Hey, Vegas is still in the playoffs. Sean's off limits. We didn't want to bug him while he's in the middle of the Western Conference final. So uh, we just grabbed Brendan and boy, am I glad we did because it was a great interview. That interview is presented by our friends at Sense Arena VR. We talked earlier in this podcast about how we've seen an evolution in the game, whether it's how people are playing the position has evolved, the gear has evolved. Sense Arena is a revolution in how you train off the ice. Virtual reality goaltending lets you face as many reps as you want without getting your body beat up. It lets you train whenever you want because you don't need a rink. It lets you face NHL shooters, which unless your name is Darren Millard, you're probably not doing on the regular. It quite simply helps you become a better goaltender in all phases of the game. Uh, We love Sense Arena. They've got an incredible deal on right now where if you order it for the year, you can get it at what used to be their monthly rate. So this great discount available today, head over to sensearena.com and check it out. Use the code IGM50, you'll save even more. The summertime when you're away from the rink is a great time to be experimenting. If you're heading on vacation with your family, you don't want to fit all the gear in the car to head somewhere, put your Sensorina headset in, become a better goaltender this summer with Sensorina. And now, Kevin Woodley and Brandon Burke and Brandon Burke with an incredible interview. We should mention Brandon Burke, if you're not familiar, played in the Western Hockey League for Portland and uh, oh, Woody and Calgary and, and Calgary. That's right. Finished up in Calgary. No. And he also played London Knights. He, he had a stint with the London Knights and he talks about playing with Dave Ooh. Rook, who's now the goalie coach there for you the go. Milwaukee That's right. Admirals. And that doesn't happen too often. Uh, he also played. Canadian University Hockey at the University of Alberta in Edmonton. If you are a university hockey fan, you might want to stay for this interview because he gives his opinion on the difference between Canadian and American University. And I bet you for a lot of you, that's going to be a bit of a shocker what he has to tell you. But 
Well, let's just stop. Let's listen to Brendan and Woody. Really excited to welcome to the Ingle Radio podcast, uh, first time guest and probably uh, belated at that. We should have had him on a long time ago, especially considering I'm having a little trouble thinking of how to introduce Brendan Burke because you've worn so many different hats over the years. I, I followed your career in the dub, went and played some university hockey. You're doing some coaching now back in the dub with the Portland Winterhawks. Work with the Arizona Junior Coyotes, big part of what goes on there uh, and all the great things that have been happening with uh, the development of hockey down in the desert. Like, which hat keeps you the busiest these days, Brendan? Yeah, definitely youth hockey keeps me the busiest. Um, that's uh, youth hockey's year-round now. It's, uh, you know, fully consumed me. And uh, that's where I spend most of my time. I really love working with Portland. Um, and obviously, I spend a lot of time with those guys as well, um, which has been really enjoyable. But the all-time consuming is, is youth hockey now. Primarily on the goaltending side, or are you working in other aspects there? I think because of the background, obviously, we all we, we should probably make this introduction as well. For anybody who doesn't know, I think I just assumed it. Brendan's dad is Sean Burke, who is the goaltending coach right now of the, the Vegas Golden Knights and a guy who had a long NHL career and has also been a, a guest on the podcast before. Um, when you're down there working at youth hockey, is it is it primarily goaltending focus, Brendan, or are you working on all kinds of things? Yeah, I'd say definitely that's primarily goaltending focus. I guess my technical role is the goalie director for the junior coyotes. I did, you know, I've done some assistant coaching before. Um, and youth hockey, it's all hands on deck a lot of times. So I, you wear a lot of hats. It's not like the NHL where you have one specific role. You do a lot of different things. But um, I think it's definitely fair to, to categorize me as the, the goaltending guy down here in Scottsdale. So the question, and this is a big one, where is goaltending at in the area and come at it from the you know from the perspective of a guy who grew up around the national hockey league game played it at at a very high level yourself and is now transferring over to the coaching side with a hand on youth in arizona and another on you know the next generation of whl goaltenders the current generation of whl goaltenders with portland like where's the game at where's the position at for you when you when you watch it what are you looking for and what do you see happening yeah, well, specifically in Arizona, we've we've had a really good run here of youth hockey goalies, um, and it, it's growing. And um, luckily, I feel like I've been able to get some kids involved and involved at higher levels, and um, just trying to really give back to the organization that that gave me my start in hockey. So um, down here in Arizona, like we have, I don't know, kids who we have uh, an 06 who is a drafted to Medicine Hat. We have an 08 who was drafted to Calgary. We got an 07 who was listed by Portland um, even before I got there. So it's not really something I had my hands in. We have um, a lot of really high-level goalies. And um, I, I expect to see some make it through to the national development camp that we do um, here in the States. So um, we've really grown. And I think you know, luckily for me, um, being a junior coyotes goalie director, it's a full-time salary position. And we're really fortunate with the investment that our owner put into goaltending. So um, really across the country, our goalies down here in Arizona get more goalie coaching than anybody else. So I, I would expect us to keep pumping out goalies. And, you know, I don't think it'd be crazy to say we see a lot of Arizona goalies, NCAA, WHL, and hopefully one day NHL. 
okay, all the success you guys are having down there in Arizona developing goalies, what's the focus? Like, when do you get them first? What do you try and work on? You know, because this becomes a consistent theme here at Ingle, right? Like, where do we start? We see a lot of, you know, a lot of at the NHL level, everybody's chasing Russian goaltenders. And we hear a lot about the athleticism and the fact they're not overcoached at a young age. So when do you start them as a full-time goalie down there? When are you thinking, hey, this might be something for you? And how cognizant are you of maybe not too much too soon? Yeah, so something I started doing this year was even working down with our mites. So going out with them once a week and giving them a little goalie coaching. And, you know, I think it's really paid dividends um, looking towards our future generations and the amount of kids we have enrolled uh, in goalies. So showing them a good time. Obviously, I'm not coaching an eight-year-old extremely hard or too technical. Just to me, all I would really like to do all the way up, honestly, until they're like 13, 14 years old, is if I can have them be strong skaters, have a a strong stance, like where I don't have to mess with too many things that don't age well. If they're holding their hands weird or their legs too wide or too narrow, like have a very you know comprehensive stance, and then just teach them how to compete in battle. If they can do all three of those things by the time they're 13, 14 years old, then we can start getting really technical things. But if you can skate strong, you have a good you know, space efficient stance. And then you truly battle, you play out rebounds, you work really hard in practice. Um, to me, if you're a good athlete, there's, there's no reason you wouldn't be a strong goalie. We talk a lot about learning to read the game. Um, it's something we try and focus on here in gold with our pro reads, like give, give kids an opportunity to sort of see the type of information. And obviously at the NHL level, what they're processing is, is, the highest level and the highest speed, but just give an example of the types of cues they look for. For you, when you're working with younger goalies, uh, is that something you focus on in terms of helping them develop it, or maybe even with Portland, or is it something they they sort of just need to go out and play and figure out on their own? Is there, or can you find a little bit of a balance for both? Yeah, it's definitely a balance. Like, I, I guess I'd go two routes on this. Like, I think video is a huge component. Um, I spend a lot of time with with our older athletes and then with Portland. You know, I think talking through situations is really helpful. But, you know, my school of goaltending and, you know, the people that, I don't know, if you look at the, the Sean Burke coaching tree, which leads up to Benoit Lair, you know, I, I truly believe making as few reads as possible is as beneficial. And I think a lot of people just attribute that to playing deeper. Um, I think that's the, the common blanket that myself, Sean, Benoit get thrown under is we just have our goalies play deeper. But, you know, to me, it's more just how many different situations can I play the same way? Um, so there's not so many live reads. And I think people look at, oh, this is a good opportunity to be really aggressive, or this is a good opportunity uh, where you have to play deeper. And I just look at situations can we play them all the same. So when we make the wrong read, which we're going to do, um, the consequences aren't as drastic. So um, that's really where my mind goes to when people talk about reading the game is obviously always going to be reads and anticipating, but I really want to limit the amount of different situations we play in different ways. So um, for me, if we can come up with a system where we play uh, 10 situations one way instead of 10 different ways, um, that's only going to speed up our processing in the game. And that's, that's really what I try and do. And like I said, a lot of times that gets attributed to just playing a little bit deeper, which a lot of times is, is the solution for some of those things, right? So you give yourself a chance on everything, but really that, that to me is, is one of the keys of the game is, is playing 
as many different situations uh, the same way. So when you do make wrong reads or the game is really fast and chaotic, you're not giving up slam dunk goals. Right. So, I mean, exactly. Like if you make the wrong read in your two feet or even a foot outside your crease, hell, if you're even heels outside your crease, that's a lot of space to recover. If you're two thirds depth or, or even deeper, you're not out of the net. Exactly. And I think sometimes as goalie coaches, we want to find ways to make the original shot the easiest save possible because one, as goalie coaches and goalies, we know that like non-goalie coaches or head coaches aren't going to blame us for uh, the pass that goes across the center line and ends up in the net. Now, me just being realistic, we just have to understand that we got to be mentally strong enough to give up the goal that looks bad um, because I am on my goal line or I'm playing a little deeper and over time I'll give up less goals and it's, it takes some mental strength and you got to have a lot of self-confidence. But, um, you know, I think in situations where, and there's nothing against the overlap, I think there's a situation for it, but if you're playing a huge overlap on a guy coming wide and he makes a nice pass across and the guy has a slam dunk goal to me, that's a bad goal in some situations or a goal that you should have had a chance on where I think a lot of coaches and, and goalies like to use it as a cop over, like I was taking the shot and, you know, that's just one example, but you know, I don't really believe that. I think as goalies, we deep down know that, you know, what if I give up a, if a guy beats me clean from the top of circles every once in a while, I'll still give up less goals overall. And if I'm being super aggressive and I never give up that goal, but the plays off of it, I do give up. The one I used to love or when I first got started sort of on this side of it and trying to learn as much as I could about the position was, you know, you'd hear it on the broadcast all the time. He didn't have a chance. And eventually, as I learned about goaltending in my mid thirties, I was like, yeah, did he not have a chance or did he not give himself a chance? How hard is it to get the coaches around you to buy into the same philosophy. I, this reminds me of similar conversation, but different sort of touch point with goaltenders, nothing through you as a philosophy, but we want goalies to be patient. But if we're always hammering nothing through you to the point where they're defaulting down before a shot's even released, cause they're worried about anything going through you. How do we teach that patience to protect the edges of the net? Like Sometimes that language and sometimes those expectations can affect how we teach and how we develop goaltenders, I would guess. Exactly. And one of the first things I try and nail home with all of my youth goalies is I really don't want us to be afraid of the five-fold goal. And I think the five-fold goal is, and how head coaches view it or assistant coaches view it or just non-goalie people, how they view that five-fold goal is one of the worst things that's ever happened in goaltending because we we could see the same play develop and the shot come from the same area but if the goal goes five hole instead of going top shelf that one is the bad goal and the top shelf one the guy had no chance on even though they all count for one on the scoreboard and i think that's truly led to way more easy goals going up top on goalies because they want to defend against the bad goal so one of the first things i say to my youth goalies when we're doing drills or I want you to force that guy to beat you five hole, right? If he can be quicker than you down, then fine. But that's not going to happen very often. If you're a good athlete, the guy's not going to come into the top of circles or just inside and beat you five hole very often, but you have to expect it's going to happen. Sometimes like sometimes you just don't read it off the stick. Well, 
But over time, if you're truly being patient on it and you're not going down and trying to react up, you, again, if that if you run that situation a hundred times, maybe you do, do give up two five hole goals, but you only give up five goals overall. Whereas if you protect against that five hole, maybe you never give up a five hole goal, but you give up ten goals overall. You know, it's that that's how I view the game. I think it's a lot of people don't view it like that, especially people who don't play the position. But you can't be scared of giving up bad goals because you're just going to give up more goals overall. So that's, that's one thing. The first thing that I try and nail into our goalies is, and I'm just using five holes as an example, because I think it's the one that most people, they'll see a guy come in and, you know, he'll come off the, the wing and take two steps inside the circle. And if that goal goes, goal goes five hole, it's horrible. If he puts it right in the corner, it's, it's just a really good shot. And I just don't, buy into that they all count as one on the scoreboard and i don't buy into it's deflating on the team or it's a type of goal the whole point of the game is to score more than the other team or give up give up less than the other team and at the end of the day i think that's the best process to do it okay so you have an audience for that philosophy at the youth level was it tougher to get it at the dub level <laughs> well um I, i'm really lucky with with mike johnson and kyle gustafson there in, in portland they're when you're talking about junior hockey, those are two guys who, um, well, they both coach in the NHL. And I think if they were hungry enough to coach in the NHL, they, they weren't so passionate about what they're doing currently, um, they would find a job in the NHL like that. So I, the really high level people, um, it's no issue for them because, you know, I, I think that's how they see the game for the most part. Um, I, I actually think sometimes that can be tougher on the youth side, um, because what you don't understand can scare you sometimes. And I think that's how, um, goaltending is viewed a lot of times. The philosophy, you called it my school, you referenced Benny Allaire, referenced your dad. And of course, I, I mean, I think I've written many articles over the years about how, you know, his career arc, um, after arriving in Arizona and then some of the goalies he's coached, you think of a Mike Smith changing his career from Tampa Bay to all the success he had in Arizona with that, what I always call is inside out philosophy, as opposed to just straight deeper. Um, you know, Devin Dubnik, re, you know, totally revitalized his career with the same philosophy. What I feel, I don't want to put words in your mouth and I probably just did by how I've interpreted it over the years, but can you explain it to me? Like how best would you describe the philosophy that you've learned through your dad, through Benny, through the goalies you've been exposed to, and I'm guessing there would have been some experimentation and maybe even some pushback when you were playing from other coaches in terms of how you use that philosophy. Yeah. And I guess I would say like, it is one of those things where you have to have a true inner confidence because, you know, when I played, I think sometimes I fought it where I wanted to play that style, but every time I gave up a goal, that was because I was deep, you know, you get, you get coached on that and you get coached harder on that. And that can, that can lead to some uh, confusion on how you want to play the situation. But, you know, I guess, <laughs> I guess I would just describe that philosophy. I'm not going to speak for Benoit because I haven't spent a lot of time with him, but, you know, Sean credits how he thinks of the game a lot to him. So, um, you know, when I work with my dad or, or I've always worked with him when we coach together now, the, the whole point of the game is if you can set your feet and be patient, you are going to stop a lot of pucks and a lot of times they're actually just going to hit you right like that's just the nature of the game especially if you're a decent size and i think myself and my dad we definitely do lean to working with bigger goalies because i think 
that you know it's it's definitely an advantage it's just the way it is with the, the size of the net and it's it's the same for everybody so if you're six four versus five four is a huge difference but i i don't think there's i don't think there's really any difference whether you're you know five foot five or six foot five it's the same concepts so if you're if you set your feet and you're patient and obviously this is given your square but at a certain level that's that's fairly easy for these guys but if you're if you're set and you're patient that puck's going to hit you a large percentage of the time if you consistently put yourself in that position you're going to consistently make good saves and um again it leads to what i was talking about earlier where you have to be content every once in a while getting beat clean with a shot because maybe you've sacrificed a little depth to be there and be set but over time and it's been proven in new york it's been proven everywhere um my dad has been that over time if you consistently set your feet and you're patient you're going to make a high percentage of the saves and that's that's just how I truly feel about the game. Not to oversimplify it, obviously it's really complicated. But if you can do that, you're going to be all right. I loved it uh, when I remember talking to Dubnik, um, and De- Devon interpreted it like it wasn't just deep. You didn't have to be on your goal line. It was as long as you could beat that pass on your feet. Yeah, that was that was a good depth and a, and a rule of thumb. I think that phrase and and even you've used it playing deeper much like the five-hole goal, can create a lot of stigmas or stereotypes that aren't always accurate. Like That's why I always try to refer it as inside out. Like It didn't mean you had to stay there. You could still make a read and take a step, but you were working from a more conservative position so that it was easier to get there. Yeah, and and depth is one of the most, like, when I hear somebody talk about how far a guy was, or immediately I just think, like, that's the most overrated concept of the game is depth um it's really overused and and it's just thrown out there you watch nhl game analysis to say oh he's really deep there um i believe that happened last game for vegas the very i think it was the first goal or second goal that hill gave up they classified he gave that up because he was deep and it's like yeah okay well he'll he'll, he's gonna you know he ended up stopping you know, whatever it was, 31 out of 33, right? That's that's okay. Well, if we get that save percentage, we're okay with the one that's because he's deep. And I, I know I've never said it. I know um, I'm pretty confident my dad doesn't really go into that. I, I don't think I've ever said I want you to play further out or deeper. It's just all relative to the skill set. So um, if there's a play and you can't get there because you're too far out, then I need you to be deeper so you can set your feet on that puck. If you can beat the pass on your feet. If if you're an amazing skater, if you can move extremely well side to side, it, it's just all relative to your skill set, right? Myself versus let's say Andre Vasilevsky, we don't we're not playing with the same skill set. That's not you know, nobody is. Yeah. So I'm not playing with the same <laughs> footwork and power he is. So I, I can't play the same way. So if somebody sees a Vasilevsky out to the you know bottom of the circle almost on a shot, which he doesn't actually really do, but you know that, that's not that's not doesn't mean that you know goalie you know two should do that, right? Everybody, you just play whatever to your relative skill set is, and you obviously work on your skills. And um, but come game time, you just have to play with what you're given. Well, it's 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 the Saros thing too. Every time I see him play, I hear commentators talk about how how he has to be above his crease, and I'm like, "Are you watching?" Because he rarely is. Yeah, it's one of those. Again, people will only notice the goals that the shots that go in, and then yeah. see where he's standing 
Um, you know, example, I'm just going to use that. We're, we're watching it. We're watching it well before the goal goes. My favorite, though, is the uh, my favorite is the commentator that says he was too deep on a pop pass one T from below the goal line. Yeah. And, you, and I'm like, where do you want him to be when the puck was below the goal line? Top of the crease? Yeah. And it's it's, you know, again, I'll go back to that last Vegas game because I'm obviously watching that series very closely. You know, it, they're they're going, well, Hill's too deep on that goal. Well, was he too deep on the next 12 times that same play developed? He, he made the save, right? We can't just be all um, results-based. It has to be like the process. And if, you know, like every once in a while you are going to get scored on, it's it's pretty difficult. There's a give and take to every decision we make, right? Whether it's positioning or how we play up. Like there's, that's the that's the back and forth for everything we do. There's something we have to give up. We're not six by four squares that fill that net. Exactly. So, um, you know, our, our, you know, my belief is that, um, if you just put yourself in positions and you can be confident enough where, uh, you know, people look at that as a bad goal, but you just keep, it doesn't affect how you actually play. Um, you're going to stop a high percentage of pucks. Aiden, it's funny you mentioned Aiden. Obviously, you have a relationship there. You guys both played in Portland. Um, I mean, I'm I'm guessing. I mean, between your dad being there and Aiden being there, you're you're probably and the Coyotes not playing right now. You're probably a Golden Knights fan right about now. Yeah, I'm always just a fan of of where my dad is. So okay, uh, or players. It's like as you get older, I have no allegiance to any jersey and just allegiance to people I know and people I've played with. You're like a journalist. I always say um, to guys I've gotten to know that win at the end, I'm like, we don't cheer for teams as, as a sports writer. We cheer for good stories and good people. Yeah. That's all I want is people I know to do well, um, for the most part, unless I didn't like them, but, um, <laughs> you know, in this game, that's pretty uh, hard to come across somebody I don't really enjoy. Okay. Let's go into your playing career a little bit. Cause, um, you know, I obviously, uh, you know, I see junior coyotes as a player too, before you're, but you're back there on the development side. Um, was it always goal for you and, and with your dad playing, was that the, the biggest influence or did you, were there times that you wanted to be a skater or maybe even we've seen this before where dad would prefer if you were a skater? Yeah, I don't think he really preferred one way or the other. He just wanted me to stay playing player for a little bit. Um, because if he, he thought it was better for your skating and, and youth hockey can be tough at points, especially if you're a mite, uh, or a squirt where, how much is the goal you're really moving out there for those games? Like, obviously it's, it's really dynamic the older you get, but um, I actually didn't start playing goal full time until I was 12 years old, I think, because that's kind of what you want. And he's, he's like, if you get to 12 or, you know, 11 or 12 is when I made that transition. If you get to that age and you still really want to do it, you know, of course that's whatever you want to do. So I, I guess he was the biggest influence, obviously. And I just love the position. I've always been really passionate about it. And, yeah, I just, uh, I guess right away, I, I really wanted to play, play goal. And um, he just wanted to make sure my interest was truly still in it as I got older. Okay, so I probably should ask this off the hop as opposed to waiting because you've probably given some of this in your answers. But what do you love about the position? What drew, what, drew to, what drew you to it and what allows you to continue to enjoy it at the level you obviously do even now coaching? Yeah, I guess, I don't know, I've always been drawn to, well, besides the point of my father playing, right? That's right. That's great. Of course. Yeah, of course. That, that goes without saying. I see my dad do it. I was, he played long enough where for my childhood, I got to watch him quite a bit. So um, that that's goes, cool. Yeah, that goes without saying. 
Um, but also I just always been drawn to positions in sports that have a huge impact on the game. Like I think of a quarterback, a pitcher, a goalie where, yeah, and it can be, you know, it's, it's pretty easily measured. Whereas, um, you have the highest impact on the game and that can go positive or negative where, um, you know, truly as a player, even a, a, a really high end player, if let's say you're playing on the second line. You can only impact the game so much, even if you have a great or bad game, either way. Um, if you have a horrible game as a goalie, you almost never win. And if you have a great game as a goalie, you almost always win. And that's just, you know, that, that's what drew me to it. And same for a, a pitcher, quarterback, whatever those those types of positions where um and of course that, that doesn't that, that's only for team sports, obviously individual sports, it's all in one person, but for team sports to be the one person with uh, as much control as possible. I think that's really intriguing. And it just drew me to that. And obviously you get a lot of praise when you do good and you get a lot of crap when you do bad, which is also just a, an enjoyable part of it. Do you think you have to be born into that mind? Like you have to, you have to embrace it, obviously. Uh, nature or nurture on, on those that can or want to be that guy that, that impacts the game at that level. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I think you can get a taste for it. Um, you know, if you if you like for me, I played a little bit of goal, played some forwards some defense, just playing, you know, really mindless youth hockey. And then you start to get a taste for it, the pressure that's involved and it's uh, it can be addictive. And, you know, I think you can definitely grow into it. But there's there's for sure a part that people just they they stay away from that position because um at the end of the day they're not comfortable with being put in in the spot where um <laughs> you could be the one that totally ruins it yeah yeah i struggle with that at beer league too <laughs> um the uh so okay so um from there i mean obviously i was gonna ask you the usual question is oh when did you get your first goalie coach but you're kind of born with one yeah um how much as you as you trend towards goal at 12 and and get into your teens playing the position you know, how much were you just out there having fun? And how? at what point did it become something you studied, something you locked in on in terms of trying to get better and, and trying to learn about? Yeah, like, I guess that always came pretty natural because I've just always been okay. a hockey nerd. I've always just been really into it. So it didn't feel like, okay, I really got to try and focus on this. Like, I just love it. I couldn't wait for the weekend and spend all Saturday watching hockey and watch my favorite goalies and really focus on them and you know it wasn't like and even in junior i was just a huge hockey fan even when i was playing so like studying the game and just being really interested in what other guys were doing always came really natural i really just enjoyed the game and then i guess as far as getting coached more technical really it was more just for fun until i was like 14 years old like 14 15 um once it became like an option that like you know i might play junior hockey and i might you know play some pretty high levels that's when i felt like i had to sharpen up but other than that like it was all just natural stuff i wanted to work on and just really enjoyed playing so you mentioned favorite goalies so they're obviously more than just dad yeah i'm curious to know who you cheered for who you like to watch and the other part of that is you said you watched it like studying the game. So you were watching it for enjoyment, but you were obviously trying to learn from it as well. It amazes me 
how many guys that move on at the higher levels do the same? I mean, I'm Demko making notes in a notebook as a kid growing up in California when he watched games, like little things right through college that he would jot down when he watched different guys play. Is that something you maybe not ask? Like, you don't want to give homeworks to kids at the Junior Coyote level or even even up with Portland. But I don't think it's a coincidence that guys that embrace it at that level seem to succeed. Yeah, and, you know, I remember being a kid and I'd watch you know, an afternoon hockey game and that night at practice, I would try and, you know, hold my glove like Brian Elliott or, you know, I would try and do something. I remember when I was younger, Marty Turco was the first guy I really started noticing doing like the overhand grip when he was playing the puck and I'm trying to do that. And yeah, like, I don't, I don't think it's coincidence. Like people who are, are really passionate about the game also are huge fans of it for the most part. And you can pick up a lot of stuff by watching and it's, it's hard because it's getting, I find like the, the youth hockey players now, they don't watch into complete games as much. Um, I remember my friends, we used to just like, you know, for example, we'd we'd watch a game. If there was a really good matchup, we'd watch it in between periods. We'd go outside and play street hockey for 15 minutes, then come back in and watch. And um, I feel like mostly now it's like you're either watching it when you're on your phone. I know I'm guilty of this too. I just, you know, got to avoid it when I was younger or you just watch highlights. So um, I think there's a lot to learn from watching a complete game or a lot of the nuances of it instead of just the the big impact moments and, uh, on highlights. And I know like I tried to never miss a Henrik Lundqvist game. I loved watching him, whoever my dad was coaching at the time. I know I really enjoyed watching Brzezgalov and Mike Smith. Um, I was still young when they were playing and, and really looked up to those guys because I got to see them up close. Um, yeah, the list goes on. There's just so many goalies I enjoyed watching, especially when guys had had unique styles. I was going to say the the difference between clips in a full game, especially as a goaltender, right? Like so much of, as much as what you're trying to coach is not being over-reliant on reads, so much of learning to read the game is recognizing the patterns. And if you're only seeing the final shot at the end of it for the highlight reel save, you're really not learning the patterns that led up to it as a goaltender. Yeah. And, you know, 90% of the save is made before the shot's taken. It's, it, you know, the execution of the save is obviously tricky and a big part, but that's just such a small part of it. It really, like, you know, whether you're going to make that save or not, a lot of it is determined before it's actually taken. Okay. So Portland uh, for parts of four years and then the trade to Calgary. Um, takeaways from junior hockey. Now you're away from, away from your dad. Got Andy, I'm guessing, as a goalie coach. Andy Moog at times, or was he there? No, he wasn't with Portland at that time. Tyler Love then? Tyler Love, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so we had Tyler Love, who was great. Um, I really loved working with him. You know, really high end. It's just good to get some different voices. And I've just always felt like I've really enjoyed working with different goalie coaches on my way up. I just felt that, you know, it's not like you have to do everything that they say, but you can take little things from everybody that help you specifically. and and your specific skill set. So I really enjoyed working with him. He, he was really high level and professional. Um, and then a guy I really enjoyed working with was, was Dave Ruck in, in London, who's just amazing, uh, just a really amazing hockey mind. And, you know, he still works in the Nashville organization. He just does a phenomenal job. With, with Milwaukee, I was going to say, and he's actually, and I'm making a note here as I jot it down, I'm like, why haven't I had Dave Ruck on the program? I've talked to him. Um, he, what, what did you like about working with him? Because I think a lot of people, just because of the generation he comes from, think of him as being a little more old school, but there's, you know, there's a really good coach there. Yeah, and he's, 
you know, extremely bright guy. I think it comes pretty easy to him talking to the goalies about the technical aspect, but just his demeanor. And um, it's a, it's a fine balance between a goalie coach and a friend and like what you're going to do there. Like you want a guy that you really enjoy spending time with, who's, who's got your back, but you also need to be coached hard. And um, you know, sometimes you need to be told stuff firmly. And I just felt like he, he walked that line really well. And, um, you know, I was actually just talking to him today. Like we just, like, he's, uh, like, I feel like he's a friend of mine and yeah, he's just, he's just an excellent hockey mind. Is that, uh, is that part of the process on the coaching side is finding those lines, finding that balance, being that supportive person, but also being able to crack the whips, the wrong word, but being able to be stern when stern is needed. Yeah. And hopefully the higher levels you go, you don't have to be stern that often. And, and goaltending is a unique position where, it, you know, it's very, you're like a sports psychologist out there. Yeah, the time. It, it's very rare. A guy like, isn't, you know, especially in game, you know, sometimes in practice, like we've all cut corners or guys are, are different work ethics than others, but in game, everybody's really trying their hardest to make that save. It's um, so it's not so much like, you know, in game, the, the lack of effort that sometimes I feel like coaches have frustrations with, with players with, because, the consequences are so dire in game that you, you rarely ever see a, a bad effort um, from a goalie. And then that balance, like I said, between being a friend and a coach, I, I think the the goalie coach is the most unique coaching position in, in the game because, you know, how close you get with your goalie coach and how much more one-on-one reaction there is compared to any other position. So after London and after Dave, you go to school, make that. Can you walk me through that decision to go to the University of Alberta, which is just an absolute powerhouse in terms of Canadian university hockey? And I'm going to, you can back me up on this, but I'm going to throw this out there for those that don't know. Really good hockey. I don't think people recognize because we think of the NCAA as a path to pro. We think of junior hockey. Like Canadian university hockey is just loaded with guys who were really high end junior players that then once they're done make that decision as you did to go play that like it's good hockey yeah it's uh i don't know i guess if you're if you don't really understand that level you'll never know but like whoever wins the canadian national championship would probably be the ncaa champion like that's it's not a huge stretch to say that or be very competitive right it's just it's just guys on different trajectories a lot of times right like guys coming back because you can play canadian university if you've already played pro hockey and so it's it's guys coming on on different trajectories, like you just meet in the middle. So those guys that are playing NCAA, you know, hopefully one day we see them in the NHL, where a lot of these guys that are playing Canadian University, like they're still playing at a extremely high level, but they're actually working towards being a lawyer, a, you know, a doctor. Like it's it's just a little different, but you meet in the middle and the level is still extremely high. Um, and then the University of Alberta is just an amazing program. They've done a great job there. And one of the powerhouses, if, if, if people aren't watching that, that hockey, it's, it's uh, a lot better than I think people realize. I think my, when I was there, we'd go down and scrimmage in CAA teams and we beat Duluth both times we went. And this, you know, the year they won the national championship, we went down and beat them. And, um, you know, it's not, it's not unusual for it, for that to happen. It's good hockey. Like I said, yeah, really, really good really, hockey. It's really good hockey. There's, there's really uh, amazing players in that league. Were there opportunities during your time there? Because we have seen guys go pro. I mean, you've got one in Vegas, Logan Thompson, who played, um, you know, in Canadian uh, University for a year. 
were there opportunities for you? Was the focus strictly to stay in school and get a degree? Like, where were you at with that decision-making process? Uh, there was nothing really that attractive for me. Um, like, you know, I guess if it was something really attractive, I would have taken it. Like, I wasn't, I don't think I was ever playing at that level where something would have pulled me out of school. Like, like maybe some other guys have where they got NHL contracts, like nothing like that ever came up for me. Um, but you know, I was focused on finishing my degree and, um, you know, maybe if I really pushed after, you know, I had a couple of really good seasons there, maybe if I really pushed, I could have got something, but my focus was to to get my degree and see what was up, you know, on the table after that. And, uh, nothing was really on the table after that. So right into coaching. What do you love about coaching? I, I should ask that. Like I, we talked about coaching, we talked about philosophies, talked about the work you're doing. What do, what do you lo- love about it? Like, are you able to blend that passion for the position just with, with young kids and learning? And, you know, it's funny, Mitch Korn, who, you know, one of the greats still goes to goalie schools every summer. I always used to ask him why he does that. Like, why do you keep going back and doing this like really hard grind on the road in your summer camps? He's like, cause I always learn. I'm, I'm still learning from the kids. Do you still find that when you're working with these young goalies, as much as you're there to be the coach, do you get to learn from them too? Oh yeah. And it's the best part about hanging out with, with really young driven athletes is I think I pick up a lot of things and I bring it to other goalies I work with. And, um, you know, these guys are for the most part, they, if they're playing at a high level, they're really smart guys who thought deeply about the game because they're trying. So, um, you know, I always pick up things and it's just been, I don't know, it's, it's natural for me. I feel like I'm a hockey, I'm going to be a hockey lifer just cause I love it. Like I, there's nothing I really want to do. I'd rather, um, you know, I'd rather do anything in hockey than, you know, some other desk job or it's not really for me. It's just, uh, I'm, I'm definitely hockey for life in, in whatever role I'm, I'm lucky enough to get. Okay. So I want to, uh, and we'll put it in the show notes so people know, and we'll tease it before this interview runs, yeah. but I want to make sure that we get an opportunity before we let you go too to, to talk about the stuff you are doing with your dad. You've got some camps coming up. Uh, I believe you guys call it Valley goaltending. Yeah. But, and where's the, where's the website for people that, that want to find that? Just valleygoaltending.com. Perfect. Nice and simple. Yeah. Even I can't screw that up. Um, but you've got some camp, you got a camp for a week in Vegas. You've got one in June. I think that's in August. You got one in June in Traverse City. Um, I know your dad told me really trying to keep the price down as well to make sure it's yeah. something that isn't prohibitive. You can really sort of expand and let kids come. What type of different age groups? What are we looking at? Walk me through the basics and then people can go to the website to find out more. Yeah, so we actually had to cancel the Traverse City one because the nights are doing too good. Um, oh, don't. Sorry. So no, that's okay. It's uh, we're going to try and get another one there. They've been they've been great with their rank, and we we knew that was maybe a possibility with uh, with how the Knights were doing in the playoffs, and it just is going to wrap too close to it. But we're definitely going to go there. Sean's got a summer house there, so um, it makes a lot of sense, and we'll definitely be running something there. We got August second to sixth in Vegas. We got two groups. You know, just depending on registrants, we split it up all levels. We try and make it. Um, really affordable. It's three hundred and twenty dollars for the five day camp, and you know we're just we're just trying to make it as affordable for the local kids as as possible. And um, you know, obviously, you got to pay coaches and, and make it worth other people's while. But we're trying to to make it really accessible, especially for um, people in markets that aren't getting a ton of, of goalie coach camps. And um, you know, you look out East Boston where there's a camp every weekend and really high level guys going there, but out here in Scottsdale, Vegas, I'd like to do one in Portland at some point, um, Traverse city, they get good camps too, but you know, it is a little bit smaller. 
of an area and doesn't get the attention that a Detroit um, or Grand Rapids usually gets for, for camp. So, um, you know, just trying to service these areas and, and, you know, it's, it's not that I'm all giving back. I'm, I'm selfishly, I like hanging out in these places. These are nice areas. I like coaching. Uh, I try and bring in guys I really like and enjoy spending time with to work them. You know, so it's 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 just a really good combination. Most of the goalie coaches I know really enjoy working with youth kids as well. Um, that's where it all starts. So we work with uh, a lot of youth goalies all the way up to AAA midget goalies and um, just try and put on the best camps uh, possible for them at, at a great value. So um, I'm really looking forward to it. we got a few real good ones planned this summer. And then um, I'm thinking 20, uh, 23, 24, we should have uh, some really good ones. Awesome. I love it. So more information, anybody wants to check it out, valleygoaltending.com. We'll keep it nice and simple there. Um, camp's coming up in Vegas and down the road, there'll be some makeups in Traverse City uh, and maybe in Arizona and around other areas as well. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Brendan, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Um, expanding camps in future summers means an excuse to have you back on. I loved uh, some of the lessons. Yeah, I love the, you know, I love the, the give and take, the five hole, the deeper, like those are lessons I think a lot of coaches and, and even parents need to hear. Um, so thank you so much for spending the time to, to, to share them with us today. Yeah, of course. Thanks a lot for having me on and give me a chance to, to plug my camps. It's, it's great. And hopefully we can service a lot of people, but a uh, big fan of your work and I really appreciate it. And in the meantime, go Vegas. Yeah. Go nights. <laughs> Well, what's a highlight for for uh, you, Woody, out of that interview? I just loved it. It's the give and take to me, right? The uh, give and take of goaltending. We talked about that with Bob and and Freddie and the different ways that they played and, and Jake Ottinger and Aiden Hill. And, you know, and it manifests itself in two ways. The answer about the five hole and not going down too early, but then also the answer about depth, right? And how people maybe focus a little bit too much on depth and how the approach that, you know, Sean learned from Benoit Lair that he coaches now, that Brendan uh, stresses and coaches, you know, how it just puts you in a better position. I love that he got into the math too. Let's be honest, right? Like, like he got into, he wasn't breaking down the exact numbers, but yeah, you know, every once in a while, I'm going to give up this goal that maybe a couple of coaches aren't going to like because of old school stereotypes, but I'm going to make 10 other saves. I wouldn't otherwise, which are you taking, you know? And, and I think that's an important part of any discussion i think that's an important one for head coaches to hear i think a lot of goalie coaches understand that but it's an important one for head coaches to hear so the next time you start ripping on a, on your goalie coach because your goalie got beat five hole by a you know a quick quick shot in the slot because he was showing patience on his edges you know understand that um that same patience might buy him five six seven saves up high that other goalies who would be down early might not make there's my math, Woody. I was listening to the interview. I pulled out the pen and I started to do calculations because what I liked was the fact that Brendan talked about that shallower depth, that not taking as much ice isn't really about gaining more time to react on the puck. And I actually figured out how much extra time you would have to react if you were even a foot further back in the crease. Answer, hardly any at all. We're talking thousands of a second. But, but that it puts you in a position to make that next save and give yourself an opportunity. And that I would even say the responsibility to, to uh, be able to make any save. And I also think Pete Fry should maybe clip a little bit of this interview for June 24th in Vancouver because every goal just counts for one on the scoreboard. Doesn't matter how it went in, does it?
Yeah, that's a great. Yeah, just I love that I, piece. I love that too. That's a good call out. I by just, you. I, I just, yeah, I just hope the head coaches are listening to that too because I'm not sure every head coach thinks they only count for one. No, and you know what the funny part is, like, because Brandon talked about it, like how, like, oh, like how certain goals deflate teams. So does it deflate the team, or does it deflate the team because the head coach is reacting like it should deflate the team? Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, and we've we've actually heard the opposite from some goaltending coaches on the ice about we we really want to make sure we make this save because the guys on the bench are going to drop their heads if it goes in. So, uh, but I, I really like the I really like the look um, here from Brendan. So great interview. Woody, great interview, Brendan. Thank you so much, Sensorina, for bringing that to us. And uh, thank you to the Hockey Shop and our friends there for the big, big day here for Bauer with the release of the Hyperlite 2. Woody, what's uh, going on over at Ingle? Uh, we've got a fresh Pro Reads up. If you didn't check it out last week, I wasn't here last week, but we got one up with Colin Delia. So happy to add Colin to the Pro Reads family. Um, got a new Pro Drills up. Caught up with uh, Marco Terranius, who many of you know, like he played it or he coached in the KHL um with uh ska st petersburg uh some guy named shesterkin played there um so i got to pretty watch pretty i heard he's pretty good no big deal mm-hmm. um got to watch him do some drills with spencer martin and arthur Silovs late in the season for the abbotsford canucks caught up with him recently and went over some of those drills we debuted one thatcher demko pro reads is coming up again this week we go back to thatcher for a great talk uh, a committed reverse. I'm just going to leave that hanging. That's what we call a teaser, folks. You have to check it out at proreads.ingolmag.com to learn more about a committed reverse and the situation that led him to needing to use it. Just, uh, yeah, I, I, I got to, you know, for, for Ingol Premium audience, an apology. Content has been a little light, had some, had some personal circumstances here that have made it a little hard to keep up with that end, but it's coming. Uh, back, back on the podcast, back ready to go. Um, lots more content coming in the next coming weeks is, uh, Hey, I don't have to go to Seattle anymore. We're past the personal stuff. Time to dig in and get some more great content up for all our great audience over at ingolmag.com and ingol premium. Thatcher Demko is committed to his reverse. We are committed to bringing you great content over at ingolmag.com. Darren would be proud of that. That segue I'm golf club Congra- over here. Congratulations to Bauer and the hockey shop on the release of the Hyperlite two today. Thank you to Sensorina, and thank you to you for listening. Have a great week in goal. Ooh, I like that in goal. He's just killing it today.